we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Hey, I hope those that are watching online, I hope you experience the power of that song there in your home. I know it can be kind of hard when it's you in a hospital room uh, by yourself or you're isolated in your home for whatever reason or a nursing home or you're in your car driving. But man, just the, the power of God was just so present in that last song here in the space. And I hope you experience there wherever you are uh, online or even during the week sometime. And, and I just kind of want to give a shout out to some folks. And you know who you are. I'm not going to call you by name. Uh, you sent me some text this morning. I uh, got one from, you know, in the middle of the night. You know exactly what I'm talking about, and uh, you're home right now. And uh, I know we got had last night, we had another young person die that was kind of raised in this church for a long time, and my heart is with you and the family. We love Stephen. So anyway, I just kind of want to say, say to you online, please connect right there in the spot. Man, we're just with you, and I want you to experience that we're connected. I mean, really connected this morning in a powerful way. And if you're here in the house this morning, uh, again, I want to say thank you for joining us. I, I know there are many great churches around. You can join online, but also you can join in the house. And the fact that you came here today uh, is very meaningful, and it's kind of a humbling experience for us, to be quite honest with you, and the fact that you came back. And we would love to meet with you and connect with you as well, those that are in the house, out in the crossing. And please take the time to, to do, go to the connection point and just give you a gift. And also, you will notice right there by the connection point, something we're calling re-engage. Uh, we hope that by now you're understanding about this new marriage ministry that's come along here that's really already blessed a lot of marriages. And we think it could be for some of you. And so we'd ask you to stop by the connection point and learn about it. It's a big commitment because marriage is a big deal. Have you noticed that marriage, those that are married, that marriage is a big deal? Have you figured that out yet? It's a pretty big deal, and it's a pretty big job, and it's really challenging. And so regardless of where you are in life, you will find this to be a blessing and benefit. If nothing else, learn about it, and uh, I encourage you even pray for others who are considering engaging in this. Uh, next week, we start a new message series. It's going to be three weeks. Uh, here's the title of it right here. And the title is, Is This It? Is This It? And then, uh, uh, we're going to be three weeks on that, setting up going into Lent. Ash Wednesday, we'll kind of make a shift here. But can you believe it's going to be March here just like that, and we're moving toward Easter. So uh, we'll have a new series then. But this morning, we're wrapping up this thing called Love Languages. And I want to begin in prayer. God, we're about to open up your word. And I'm going to invite right now anybody who can hear my voice, whether you're online or in the house, if you could just, just very carefully, just very gently kind of turn your hands over and open them. Just open them. And God, please see our hands as a willingness of our mind, our souls, in our bodies to receive your touch this morning. We need your touch. We long for it. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been talking about the five love languages and learning what our love languages are. We've also been challenged not just to learn our own, but to learn the other people in our lives' love languages. And this is why. Life is all about love. 
And it's important for us to also know that spiritual growth, spiritual maturity is measured by how well we love. Spiritual growth and spiritual maturity is not how much of the Bible you have memorized. It's not how good your doctrine is. It's not about how many times you get baptized. Spiritual maturity and spiritual growth in the scriptures is literally measured by how well you and I love. And Jesus is the standard. And he practiced and taught about a unique kind of love called agape love. Where I will and I'm always working for the good of the other person. So that means it is not just me learning my own love languages. But I'm going to intentionally work to learn the love languages of the people around me. So I can meet and love them where they are. Not where I am. That might be speaking words of affirmation. That might be giving quality time. That might be giving gifts. That might be acts of service. Or it could be where we are this morning in this concept of physical touch as a love language. Now, if physical touch is the love language of the person next to you, you probably already know it because you can tell they're sitting kind of close to you or they just kind of keep, as I brought that up, they went, whoop, and they snipped next to you. And if you want to, you might even want to ooch close to them. That's a biblical word, ooch. That is where you just kind of slide over and lean into them a little bit too. But regardless if this is your love language or not, all children, please hear this, anyone who has any parental or grandparent supervision, all children, a gentle touch, a gentle hug, always to a kid communicates love. It just says love. It just does. And even if it's not their love language, but if it is their love language, if it is, that power of touch will supersede all the other love languages that you will try to impede upon your child. This is so critical and vitally important. And if it is that love language of that child, as they grow into an adult, it will stay with them their entire lives. It will. Now this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus, who is the master of this particular love language. And this, we say this for last because it's so powerful. Probably one of the most powerful of the love languages. It also can be the most destructive if it's avoided or abused or misused. So before we even talk about this, we need to talk about something in the church, an idea that you may have heard about but not really learned about called the doctrine of incarnation. Let's talk about this for a second. Some of you already are tuning out. Stay with me. The doctrine of incarnation. Something happened in the story of God and the human race that nobody saw coming as you read the Bible. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, he started telling this story. Now, before I go there, you need to know that the Bible is a love story. My Granny Brown, she loved reading those cheap little love story romance novels. Don't raise your hand. You know who you are. You don't talk about it. She never talked about it very much, but they were all over her house. And my Granny Brown, she worked in the garden, and she sang gospel songs, but she loved to read these little romance novels from time to time. And you knew with the plot, you knew the love story, you knew what would happen. The plot was obvious, and it was always the same. But every time my Granny Brown would read one of these books or tell you about them, she was always shocked and surprised. Didn't see that coming. 
such as, you know, the, the, the handsome prince. The handsome prince is going to marry the beautiful princess, even though she's kind of haughty. And they're, they're going to get married. And they have this peasant girl who's going to make all their wedding clothes. And even the making of the wedding clothes, the peasant girl falls in love with the prince. And when it comes to the day of the wedding, when the, she shows up to give them their clothes, lo and behold, the handsome prince is does not in love with the beautiful but haughty princess. He's in love with the present girl, and they're going to get married. And my granny will say, I didn't see that coming. Or maybe she would read a book about, about a merchant, a very noble merchant who was very, very wealthy, but he was going to marry this, this icy heiress. She had so much money, but she was kind of icy. And so they have the kitchen girl to make them their cake. And so she makes the wedding cake. And so she shows up, and she's fallen in love with the prince, with the, with the merchant over this time. And lo and behold, when she gets there, she can't believe it. He would never notice her. On top of the wedding cake, this merchant had put the statue, you know, sometimes the bride and groom. And it was the merchant and the kitchen girl on top, he wanted to marry her. My granny would say, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Who could have saw that coming? And so right here we have this opening words of a love story in John chapter 1. And John writes it like this, in the beginning, interesting, in the beginning, the first three words that are in the Bible, the story of God, the story of the Bible, he says right here, in the beginning was the word. In the Greek, that is the logos. That is where we get our word logic. It is where we get our word reason, understanding, insight. That's where we get the phrase to be able to study. The word biology can be traced all the way back to this Greek word right here, logos. And the ancient Greeks, they loved this. They loved it when they read this, really. In the beginning was the logos. Because they understood this word logos as this sense of reason. This sense of this idea of something of, of intelligence that's so set apart from the rest of the world that it was like a spirit. This kind of idea of something that was alive and it was so beautiful that they worshipped it because it's set apart from the world. This world that you and I live in, we have bodies that rot and decay and sin and do evil things. That this idea of logos was pure and perfect. And the Israelite people loved it so much because when they read this word, they thought wisdom and when you read the Old Testament, you see how often the Old Testament, they write about wisdom, that God is wisdom. And they speak of wisdom as like a young child that never ages, that was with God in the beginning, that sticks with God forever, and it never ages. And again, this is something in someone like they can worship. So they read this here, the scriptures, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And then it says, and the word was God. What the word wisdom, it, it was God. And religious leaders they would go, Wow, that is so awesome. It's not that just God has wisdom, God is wisdom. That's God's identity. That's who God is. That is God's character. And God cannot do anything that is unwise. That is who God is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then it jumps down to verse 14, and the Word, the Logos, became flesh. Didn't see that coming. That this holy other, this, this, this holy other now can be experienced and seen and touched in flesh and blood. And nobody saw that coming. When I was in the sixth and seventh grade, I would sometimes have night terrors. I would be afraid of the night. 
I will not tell you the reasons why it's really not that important, but so much so I would cry out for my dad to come be with me. And sometimes my dad would lay down with me in the bed. Sometimes he would lay down on the floor. And sometimes my dad would simply say, hey, Rick, you're not alone. You're okay. God is with you. And often I would reply, yes, Dad, I I know that, but I need somebody with skin on. (laughs) Jesus is God with skin on. The Word, the Logos, became flesh. Now, I know for some of you are here this morning, you're watching online, and you're not sure if you believe in God. This idea of God, this holy other nebulous, this idea of this spirit, this being becoming flesh, that's kind of hard for you to wrap your head around. You go, really, really, God, God became a human being. Really, yeah, okay, right, really. This is a very important concept to understand. And here's why. God loves you and me so much. He wanted to become like one of us. See, that's what agape love does. Agape love enters into somebody else's existence. Agape love enters into somebody else's life. Agape love enters into somebody else's burdens to know what it's like to be them. That's what agape love does, and that is what God does. And somehow, 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 Jesus, God in the flesh, Through him becoming flesh, you and I get to know what God is like through Jesus. And somehow, somehow, God becoming like Jesus in the flesh, God gets to know what it's like to be us. Somehow, somehow, somehow through Jesus, God got hungry. God got tired. God got thirsty. Somehow, God, somehow, we can't, somehow, through, through Jesus, God scraped his knee. God hit his thumb with a hammer. Somehow, 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 God, through Jesus, experienced what it's like to go through puberty, to have your voice changed, to be tempted, to cry. To laugh. And somehow, 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 through Jesus, God knows what it's like to die. Whew, didn't see that coming. Church, this is a very important concept, this doctrine of incarnation, for you to grasp and understand. Not because it's something you've got to know and believe in before you become a Christian. It's not about becoming a Christian. And it's not something you've got to know so you can get into heaven. It's not that at all. This is an important concept for you to come understand because God is real. He really became a human being on earth in the form of Jesus. It really happened. It's not just some idea. It's just not some abstract thought. God is not some idea warning out there. And you show me a church. You show me a denomination. You show me a Christian. You show me a tradition that can't buy into the reality of the incarnation. I will show you someone who has no relationship with Jesus, who has a faith that's just stale and lifeless, and God is some idea out there far, far away, but not near and close. And it begins to die real quickly if it's just an idea. But God is real, and God is alive and active and moving and doing stuff, and we see that in the flesh and blood person of a man 
named Jesus. The incarnation of God himself on planet earth. And he came to inhabit the earth. God himself. And if you invite him, he will inhabit you. He will live in you. You can experience God in your life in a very, very real and personal way. Not just an idea, in you. Unbelievable when you think about it. Somehow, somehow, way, 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 way back, way, way back, when all of a sudden they started recording and writing stuff down, the opening of the Bible. In the beginning, the story begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then many, 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 many years later, someday, on one particular day, and the word, the Logos, became flesh. That heaven and earth came together as God intended in the person of of Jesus, God with skin on him. And that changes everything. For the rest of this message, I want us to talk about this love language called touch, physical touch, that Jesus was the master of, but you cannot understand this until you get that concept of the, of the, of the doctrine of the incarnation. You can't even get what we're going to do next. And this is so powerful, this concept of how Jesus practiced. And I walked through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And church, I was, I don't know why, but I was just amazed at how many times I saw how Jesus touched people to show them that he loved them. So powerful. So we're going to look at a few stories, a few examples of how Jesus did this. And the important things are for you not to know how Jesus did it. But for you to be thinking, what does this mean for me and my relationships on how I practice this love language with the people in my life? That's where the rubber hits the road. How are you going to practice this? So please be thinking about this. Here's the first one is the, 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 the touch of healing. The touch of healing. Over and over and over again in the Bible we see where Jesus healed people through the power of of touch. Over here in Mark chapter 1, uh, we see this one example. Verse 40. We'll put it on the screen. A man with leprosy came to him, that is Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now this is a very dramatic moment because this man is a leper. And if you were a leper, you were not just considered sick in this time. You were considered unclean. And if you were unclean, that meant you were defiled. And so if I touch you and you're unclean, that makes me defiled. I'm unclean. And not only that, if you then, you come and touch me because I touched him or her, now you become unclean. And in the ancient world, this, this, this sense of being unclean, it was not just a sickness, it was considered as an outer manifestation of an inward uncleanliness. It was looked upon as almost like the judgment of God upon you. It was a moral stigma. And because it was a moral stigma, sometimes the rabbis, when they saw a leper coming up, would throw stones at them just to make sure they knew to stay far, far away and don't accidentally touch someone. If you were a leper... You would have to stay six feet away from everybody for your whole life. Not just your COVID life, but your whole life, six feet away. Think about that. If it was a windy day, you would have to cover up your mouth, tear your clothes, and shout, 
unclean, unclean, unclean everywhere you go. And the law says that if you are a leper and you want to get clean, you have to go see a rabbi. So we have a leper who goes to a rabbi. His name is Jesus. And everybody is wondering, what is Jesus going to do? Because this guy has not been touched since he was diagnosed. Next part of the verse, verse 41. Jesus was indignant. Some of your Bibles say compassionate. And he reached out his hand and he touched the man. And everybody would have gone, what? You got to be kidding me. Because now Jesus is unclean. So now you got the leper. Now you got Jesus unclean. Everybody else is clean. And they cannot believe that. What, what, what did he just do? And then Jesus speaks these two little words, come right after that. Then he, said, then he says, be clean. And they got to be thinking, hold it. Why didn't Jesus say be clean first, then touch him? He had the power to do it. He could have healed him. He could obey the law. He deliberately disobeyed the law. He deliberately touched the guy and got unclean, and he didn't have to. Why? Did he do it? He's kind of sending a message. He's kind of saying that now God, who is in the flesh, no longer is going to keep himself distant from anybody, that God will touch anyone. In that day and time, the temple was so holy, you could not bring an unblemished animal or a blemished animal, an imperfect animal, into the temple. Anybody that was imperfect could not go into the temple, much less the, the deeper you go, you just couldn't do it because you would defile it. A rabbi's home was considered a little temple. That means they would not let anybody who was sick or defiled or unclean come in because they could not come into their own home because they showed their devotion to God by who they would not touch. God, we are faithful to you, not touch them. Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, I will show you my devotion, not by who I will not touch, but who I will touch, and I'll touch anybody. Because God will touch any human being wherever they are in life. And when you read the Bible, that's exactly what happens. Go through and read it. There is a there's a Peter's mother-in-law gets sick, has a fever. Jesus touches her. There's a blind man in Bethsaida. Jesus touches him. There's a blind man in Jerusalem. Jesus touches him. There's a demoniac that nobody, everybody's afraid of. And before he heals him, Jesus touches him. And he's sending a message. God will touch anybody because there's power when God touches a human heart or a human body. And we know this is true. UCLA did a great long research pro, pro, uh, pro project on this. And they found that someone who is touched in a meaningful way 10 times a day lives longer than someone who is starving from touch. I shared this years ago at a marriage conference over in Granbury. And as soon as I said that, this woman who was kind of not getting along with her husband, she reached along and just went, one, two, three, four, five, yeah. Not meaningful touch, okay? Not meaningful touch. 
Not at all. So here's my ask of you. My ask of you this week is to think of the people in your lives that you know are going through a hard time. They're feeling kind of lonely. They're tired. They're weary. Something going on. And how is it can God use you through the simple way of a handshake, of a hug, hand on the shoulder, looking for that opportunity to show an appropriate touch of God's healing power and love through that. Because God heals the soul so many times that when people would pray over people, they would, they would put their hands upon them in the Bible because they know that the body is connected to the soul. Would you be open to doing that? Even the people in your own lives. Here's the second one, the touch of reassurance. The touch of reassurance. Over in Matthew chapter 17, some of the disciples, three of them, went mountain climbing with Jesus. And when they get to the top of the mountain, they're having a great time. And all of a sudden they hear God speaks. And God speaks words of affirmation to his son. And it says in verse 5, this is my son. God says, I love my son. I'm pleased with him. Words of affirmation. Listen to him. And it says in verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. Now, I love that Matthew made sure, this little point right here, that before Jesus said anything, it says right there in verse 7, he touched them. They fall to the ground, and before he says a word, they're scared, he touched them. Anybody here ever played Duck, Duck, Goose? When everybody kind of goes to the ground, everybody falls to the ground, and somebody goes around, they kind of touch them. Jesus is just playing Duck, Duck, Goose. This is grown-up Duck, Duck, Goose. And he's touched them. He said, hey, you're going to be okay. I'm with you. You're going to be okay. You're going to be, because there's something that happens, the reassurance of a touch where you no longer feel afraid when the right kind of touch is upon you. Church, we know this is true. We know it is true. Dallas and I have three sons. They're all grown men now. They're now having grandkids and we're loving it. But it's taken me back in memory about little kids, and I remember with one of our sons, when he would get afraid in the middle of the night, instead of getting out of the bed and running into our room, he would just say, Dad, Dad, I'd say, come, no, Dad, wake the whole house. So I would have to go to him, not for the sake of him, but to calm the whole house, and I went to go let him have it. You got to figure, you know, you got, I mean, my sleep's interrupted again, I'm tired, this is the third or fourth night in a row. Nobody knows that's ever happened right in your house either. And he just looked up at me. I remember so many times he would look up and he'd hold his hands up and say, hold you, me. <laughs> what do you do when a little two or three-year-old kid just raises up and goes, hold you, me, hold you, me? I tell you what happens, your heart melts. And all of a sudden you're not tired. And you pick them up. And you hold them. And you reassure them that they're Okay. And please hear this, there's no grown-up that gets so grown-up, there's no successful person that gets so wealthy, there's no healthy person that gets so strong, mentally, physically, or spiritually, that you outgrow the need to some point in your life to say to someone, hold you me. Because there's something about a touch, there's something about a hug, there's something about a hand at the right moment that just says more than words can. In fact, there are some situations in life, words say nothing. There are some problems that are so big that nobody has the answer to. 
There's some tragedies that are so overwhelming, you can't wrap yourself around it. And you want to talk. You want to explain it. Could I ask you, please, stop talking and just start hugging. Because your hug or your touch is more powerful than any word that might come out of your mouth. The Bible says that you and I are the body of Christ. You know what that means? The church is the body of Christ. That means God has given you and me, the church, this ministry of sanctified touching. That when you touch someone in the name of Jesus and the body of Christ, healing and reassurance is a release. And we now, it's now our words to say, you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid. God is with you. And you reassure them of that through your touch. And I say this because sometimes it does not get practiced in churches. There was this lady here a year ago who lost her husband. And she told me, she said, Pastor, not only did I lose the touch of my husband when he died, but all my married friends, they stopped inviting me out to dinner with him. And now I've lost the touch of my married friends too. If you call Pathway Church your home, please listen. Whether you're online or you're in the house, you call this your home. home. Anytime we gather, COVID or no COVID, whatever the season, may we declare we will always be a church of high touch. That if somebody needs it, you see the pain, you see the aloneness, you see the isolation. Somebody walks in, they're by themselves, or they're carrying a burden, or they're carrying a bunch of kids, and they're tired or frustrated. That somebody will come up to them and embrace them in a close, proximity, healthy, appropriate, physical way to touch and to help and to hold. That's who the body of Christ is of reassurance. And you can do this, church. You can do it. They're everywhere. Do not leave this morning without noticing and being aware of everybody around you who might need need that touch of reassurance in an appropriate way. And we'll talk about appropriate toward the very end. Here is the third one. The third one is the touch of reconciliation. The touch of reconciliation. One of the very last stories, the healing stories in the Bible is right before Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. And they send out the soldiers to arrest him. And they come with clubs and with swords. And Peter decides that he is going to defend. He gets in his idea. He's got to defend Jesus. I don't know why he thinks he has to defend Jesus. And so he takes out the sword of another guy. And the guy's name is Malchus. And I love this part because it just kind of makes me aware that Peter never went to high school and took fencing. He never took swordsmanship because all they got was an ear. He wasn't real good. And Jesus kind of turns all the it's in all four gospels, all four of the gospels. Peter says, Jesus says to Peter, knock it off, Peter, knock it off. Then he turns to Malchus. And he touches Malchus on the face. Please, please hear this. There's almost nothing more intimate than touching someone on the face. Think about it. Touches him on the face. And I kind of hear him apologizing. Malchus, I'm sorry. That's not who I am. That's not, that didn't represent my, no, that's not me. It's Peter. I just can't do anything with him. I've been with him for three years. He just doesn't get it. I'm sorry. Almost apologizing for him. Here's your ear back. Boop. 
Then they take Jesus away and they kill him. Can you wrap your head around that? Everybody else is full of hatred and fear, defensiveness. Jesus is very calm and reconciles the whole situation by just As I think about Malchus, sometimes I wonder, did, did, did Malchus ever think, huh, the very last miracle this guy did, the very last healing, was healing me, reconciling, and then we killed him. Who does that? Heals their killer. Who does that? I wonder if Malchus ever told his wife and kids, Man, the strangest thing happened. I never experienced that kind of. I wonder if later when he was an old man, he had hair growing out of ears. You know what I'm talking about, man? You know when the hair just starts growing out of ears, you find yourself, you reach out there and pull it over. I wonder if he ever pulled it. Went, huh. And remembered Jesus. See, there's some touches that just reconcile, that makes you kind of calm things down, that kind of steady things. Years ago, Dallas and I would go uh, every Christmas, two or three weeks before Christmas, to a family's house. We'd have dinner, and we'd have a Christmas dinner with us couples, and we'd rotate houses in this one particular year. I didn't want to go. I had a bad attitude. I had much on my mind. I did not want to be there. So we're sitting at the table, and it's probably pretty obvious I was kind of in a grumpy mood. And I said something I shouldn't have said, and I knew it hurt Dallas's feelings. And it was kind of an ouch. I kind of touched a wound that she knew about. I could feel it right next to her. She went, oh. And, I, and instantly I went, gosh, Rick, what did you just do? I wanted to apologize, but nobody else could tell. It had been inappropriate to apologize, so I could just feel this weight. I can't wait to talk to her. But Dallas, under the table, took her hand and put it on my leg. And she began very, just very slowly, just kind of rubbing my leg and kind of scratched it and everything like that. At least I think it was Dallas's hand. <laughs> it was under the table. <laughs> I'm just telling you. And she was kind of saying, you know what? Yep, you got me, didn't you? But we're okay. I'm not going to call you out in front of my friends. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. I'm not going to embarrass you by having to give you the silent treatment. I'm not going to do that. We'll talk about it later, but we're okay. And that little touch, her hand is very expressive, by the way. It, it, just, it, just, it just let me know it's going to be okay. Just On the other extreme, I'm visiting with the married couple. I'm having a session just with the husband. Their marriage is so far apart, so distant. It's just defined by just distance and hostility and anger and separation and all. Even though they're fighting to make it work, they both said, we're going to make it work. And it just so happened his love language was physical touch. Especially intimate touch. He said, Pastor, you're never going to believe what happened. So I said, my wife hates me so much. It's so deeply embedded in her body. Is that we were in bed and I woke up in the middle of the night just worried about our family and about our marriage and about us and me. And I felt so lonely. I felt so isolated. I'm in my own house, and I just felt so isolated. And I rolled over, and my hand accidentally fell upon my wife's hip. And she's sound asleep, and she just jerked the other way. I mean, just intentionally jerked the other way. Her body just re And she was sound asleep. She never woke up. And he talked about how much it hurt him that her Distancing from him, of punishing him, 
physically by staying so far, was so deeply embedded that even while she was asleep, her body reacted. He thought, she hates me so much. Self-consciously, she turns away not to touch him. And she would have only understood that that was his love language. And she did not have to lay down with him sexually. But just a touch on his hand or look in an eye would be a reassurance of, hey, I'm not quitting, I'm not bailing, I'm still in the, it would have changed everything. If you're estranged from someone in, a, in your marriage, the person to whom you're married, you don't have to get everything figured out before you touch because touch symbols the hope of reconciliation. Please know this. And if you're in a relationship where you've been together so long, yet you're sexually estranged, and you're now so sexually and physically estranged that it's awkward that you don't feel comfortable in approaching the other, let me coach you a little bit. Go for a walk and just hold hands. That's it. Just hold hands. That's it. Make a pledge every morning when you wake up. Give a kiss before you leave and a kiss when you get home. That's it. Hold hands, sit on the couch, and just rub the hand of the other person. Rub shoulders. And I promise you, over time, if you will do those things, you will begin to feel more naturally reconciled and connected, and the next step will eventually fall into place, and you'll know what to do. I'll just say it that way, okay? Here's the last one. Now, before I do this, I need to say this, because somebody asked me this. Pastor, what do I do? If my love language is not physical touch, and it's the love language of my spouse, what do I do? I had this German guy come and tell me, he said, Pastor, my love language is not physical touch, and it's my wife's. And I come from a German heritage, and I never saw my parents kiss. They never held hands. They hug. We're not touchers. They're not touchers. I'm not touchers. We just don't do that. I'm German. Our love language is food. (laughs) That's it. What do I do? What do I do? What do you think I told him? What does agape love do? Agape love, I don't care that it's uncomfortable for you. It's not about you. Figure it out. Touch her. But I do get it. Over time, you've been trained. And it becomes a habit. And you just don't know how. So here's what the book says. You take your hands and you look at them. And you be reminded, God gave me these hands not just to feed my mouth, but to touch My nerve endings in the bottom of my fingers and my hand are for the power of touch and hugging and holding. So you take your hands and you picture this person that wants to be, that's their love language, and you just slowly pull your hands together and picture them in your hands, and then you kind of pull them next to you. And Chapman says, you do that a thousand times in a week, that's 143 times in a day, all of a sudden you will feel natural and it will be okay. But you figure it out. If that's their love language. And here's the last one, the touch of blessing. The touch of blessing. Over here in Mark chapter 10, one of the most powerful stories in the Bible, and I love it. Verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, you let the little children come to me. In verse 16, he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now, this was not common in this day. Parents did not touch their kids. They did not hold their kids. This was just not common. 
It's a picture of the kingdom of God, Jesus said. It's totally different. You see, in this day right here, kids were considered a commodity. Kids were the lowest person on the totem pole. You don't touch lepers. You don't hang around with people that are imperfect, who have some sort of malady, and you don't hold kids. You just don't do it. So Jesus is painting a picture of the kingdom of God. And what they didn't know back then, that all the research shows that any child, any child who receives meaningful touch, they develop better emotionally. Their brains develop faster. And they have healthier relationships when they get older than the child that was raised in a touch-starved home. And so these parents, who would not touch their own kids, they bring them to Jesus because they can see that there's a power in the blessing of touching a child because Jesus does it. And the disciples say, hey, no, 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 Jesus doesn't have time for that. Get the kids out of here. And Jesus says, no, you bring the kids to me because Jesus understood something. That touching signifies that you love someone. And when you love someone, you touch them. It blesses them. And to not touch them dehumanizes them. Let me repeat that. To not touch someone intentionally. They reach out your hand. You don't shake it. It dehumanizes the other person. But it blesses them when you do. Anybody remember Jackie Robinson when he broke into baseball? Remember the story of Jackie Robinson? Kind of captured in the film 42 in that one scene in the movie where he goes out to play and the racial hostility and everybody just yelling, cursing because this black man is out there playing on the field. Can't touch him. Can't touch him. Can't touch him. He's black. And then Pee Wee Reese, his little white shortstop from Kentucky, goes over there and he stands right next to him with everybody cheering and booing. And he puts his arm around him. He doesn't say a word. He just... This is my brother. I'm his brother. We're one. You mess with him, you mess with me. That's a blessing. Church, there are some things that words can't share, that just the power of touch does. Now, here's some closing words. Because there's right touch and there's wrong touch. And we need to get this because we got to redeem this because some of us don't understand this. In your notes, there's something called personal versus intimate space. And all the professionals so that people have a personal intimate space that you do not violate that space unless that person invites you in or they give you permission. You don't violate it. You just don't do it. And they say that intimate space, the intimate space is 16 to 18 inches from the tip of a person's nose to another person. And if you come into that space, 16 to 18 inches, you come into that unwanted, uninvited. It is wrong and it is scary for a woman. It is especially frightful for, me, for women. Men, we don't do that unless you've been invited or received permission. Don't do it. The other thing is just personal space. It's about four feet. It's about four feet. You get inside that, you're inside someone's personal space. So all the research shows. Now, it's different all over the world. You go to Italy, it's different. It's closer. You go to Ethiopia, uh, it's different. You go to Greece, it's different. You go into the United Kingdom, it's different. In the United Kingdom, it's a half a mile. You go to England, I mean, they're just going to stay on me. You just don't do it at all. I mean, it's just on the other thing. But it's different all over the place. Here, here's another thing we need to understand the difference of between giving and taking a hug. If you're sad and somebody knows it and they come hug you, 
they're giving you a hug. If you have a victory at work and everybody knows it, they hug you, they're giving you a hug. This week, next Sunday at the Super Bowl, these great big gigantic 350, 400 pound men who are trying to kill each other and bump into each other, one of them's going to win. And when one of them wins, these big, burly, masculine gladiators will jump into each other's arms and hug each other and kiss each other and pat each other on the buns. That's giving a hug. But there is a hug that is needy where someone want to take and it's not okay. Years ago, there was a woman in this church who said, this is kind of what she said to me. She said, Pastor, I am desperate and I am lonely. I've tried to manipulate and guilt every single person in my family to hug me, and nobody will. I am this bottomless pit of emotional need, and I need someone to suck the life out of them, to put some life into me. You're a pastor. It's your job. Give me a hug. That's not okay. We never manipulate another person to get something from them that only God can fulfill to be so needy. There was a woman who touched Jesus in the crowd, and Jesus said, the power left me. We never do that to another person, what only Jesus can do. That's taking. We don't do that. And here's the final thing about destructive touch. Our bodies are holy. They are made by God. They're the temple of God. So we got to be careful about that. So there's a certain kind of destructive touch. Physical abuse between a husband and a wife. It is always a sin. There's no excuse. There's no gray area. There's no permission. There's nothing about it that is okay. Any sort of sexual abuse of any kind. Sin. Not okay. Not acceptable. It's nothing but wrong. Any sort of unwanted sexual advances upon another person that is not wanted, it is not okay, it's a sin, it's wrong, it's violating somebody's intimate space. Because when I'm dealing with another person's body, I'm dealing with something that is holy. Because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I'm on holy ground. And you've got to respect. There's power in the hands of Jesus. I started thinking about Jesus' hands, how rough they were as a carpenter and how strong they were. I started thinking that one of the last acts of Jesus is he took some bread with his hands and he said, this is, what did he say? This is my what? Body. The word became flesh. God became flesh. Let that sink in. And then he died. And there was a guy who didn't believe it. And his name was Thomas. And he shows up in the room after Jesus had been resurrected. And he said, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe unless I can touch him. And, and Jesus said, hey, hey, Thomas, touch me right here. Touch me right here. Touch me. You can touch me. Touch me. And he touched him. He said, oh, I believe. The power of touch. Jesus understood that. That's why he came. Church, as it turns out, your life is nothing but a love story. You don't even know it. Your life is a love story. And Jesus is the hero. Healing to perfection, wealthy, unlimited resources at his life. Perfect life, joy, everything was perfect. He had just lived in utopia. 
And you and I are the human race. Ragged and sinful and broken and messed up and messy people. But the prince, he falls in love with the human race and he wants to marry us. And so what does he do? He becomes a peasant like you and me. To understand what our life is like. So we can relate to him and he can relate to us. And then he died on the cross. He laid down his life to show you how much he loves you. And God raised him from the dead. It's somehow, 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 some miraculous way that the bride and the groom, God and the church, you and me, Jesus and you, Jesus and me could become one, one mind, one soul, and one body. Christ in me, Christ in you. God with skin on in you didn't see that coming did you I invite you to stand if you're online you want to join us in that way I invite you to stand I want to pray over you I want to pray over you by just kind of praying over you kind of winding down this series and if you're close to someone your family a friend a child a loved one you want to place your hands upon them you want to draw tight to them you can do that And I'm going to ask you, if you're online or you're in the house, particularly if you're in the house, when we get finished here, I want you to turn to somebody around you. And in the name of Jesus, I want you to reach out and shake their hand. Look them in the eye. Hug them. Give them a brace. Don't let anyone, anyone, anyone disconnect from this campus online. Do not disconnect with kind of giving a high five hand there in the comment section. Connect. Don't let anyone, anyone not leave here with a touch of reassurance that they're loved and they're valued and God sees them. So God, I thank you for these folks that have assembled here these past five weeks to know and grow about how you love us. This agape thing, this beautiful thing that Jesus taught. And God, it is so hard. We are such a selfish and sinful people. We want the ones. We want to be touched. We want to be reassured. We want to be healed. We want, we want people to focus upon us. And so often we don't really figure out what it means to love agape style the people in our lives but you tell us in your word this is how they'll know you're where your disciples by how you love one another so God help us help us to take what we've learned and to put it into practice and to use us to heal your broken world in the name of Jesus and all God's people said Amen. Amen. I love you, church. I'm so proud to be your pastor. Love each other. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.